Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. I have um, some very fond memories of the churches that I grew up in and around over uh, years as a kid and stuff. One of my, I suppose, oddest memories, one of those wild memories that you have is when I was a teenager, um, after the church service, there was an announcement made that if you were a member of the church, uh, you were required to stay behind for an announcement. And so I, I, being a teenager, didn't know if I qualified, but I was like, this sounds interesting, so I will stay I grew up in like a, a kind of old school Assemblies of God church. They had certain ways of doing certain things. And uh, so once visitors and non-members had been cleared out, um, they told us what they wanted to tell us, which was that uh, they needed to put someone through discipline. Now that's hard, hard in a church. And I was like, oh, does this mean? And, uh, and so they bring this poor fellow out to the front and they get him to confess what he's done. What he's done was, um, it's okay for me to share, is, um, is that he thought it would be very funny to, uh, to photocopy his bottom <laughs> on the church photocopier with the intention that he would then slip it into the pastor's notes. <laughs> so... As the pastor was going through his sermon, he'd turn over the page to find a big bottom. So how does one get caught for this? Well, he'd climbed on board the photocopier, being a bit of a chunky fellow. The the glass had cracked beneath his weight and then he'd scarpered, leaving the photographic evidence behind him so I don't know how they connected the two whether they asked various men of the church to um to you know did some kind of check but it it was it was a really bad day and what was worse was that was his last day in the church they put him out of the church and he was never to be seen again it's a tough thing right that's a bad day it's a bad day to get kicked out of your home church But he's in good company because Jesus also got kicked out of his church. Not just kicked out of his church, but kicked out of his church, dragged to the edge of the town, to a cliff edge, and there they want to kill him. I told you last time, didn't I, that Jesus had uh, escaped like Jedi style and uh, managed to get away. We don't quite know how, but he just walked through the crowd. His very mates, the people he grew up with, had taken him out of the town in order to kill him. There is no going back for Jesus, though. He is out there now. He's uh, declared himself the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy from Isaiah 61. He's uh, announced himself as the one who was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, anointed as the one who's going to bring freedom for the captive, the recovery site for the blind. You know the passage. The one anointed to set the oppressed free and declare this new season of God's favor, the year of the Lord. He's the one with the upside down anointing, the anointing that would see the unfavored become favored. 
So now we move on in Luke. And Luke is going to show us how these words of Christ weren't just words, weren't just an amazing, very short, but wonderful preach. These words are now going to be displayed. So everything else that we read in the book of Luke should be evidenced here. If it isn't about the preaching of good news, if it isn't about the release of captives, then it probably isn't worth reading. But Luke is going to unpack it for us and it's going to be exciting. He is the one who was anointed to proclaim good news and therefore we're going to hear about it. He is the one who's anointed to set the oppressed free. So we're going to see evidence of this stuff. Jesus was not a politician. Jesus was not full of rhetoric. What he said was true, and we're going to see that described. He has no hype. He is not a man of exaggeration. His words are going to be fulfilled. And you know the devil wants to do everything he can in order to try and undermine him along the way. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel a little bit fearful to declare what God has called me to do. Sometimes it feels easier to stay off the radar, out of the way to avoid detection. Sometimes I don't want to put my head above the parapet and announce the things that God has called me to just in case I come under attack. I felt a little bit like that when I stood up at the Urban Hero Awards and they kind of announced the plans for proximity. I was thinking, I'm not quite ready this could go pear-shaped. Or when I say, I'm going to write a book, and everyone looks at you like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, I'm not sure I should have said that. But the fear of God is overtaken by the fear of man, or the fear of God is overtaken by the fear of what the devil and his schemes could bring about. You get uh, anxious and nervous that you're going to be criticised or condemned or mocked or ridiculed for the things that God has spoken. I remember uh, when I announced to my church, that same church that Affa mentioned, um, and said, I feel this call to join Eden. And I told them about what, what, the, what I'd heard about these people moving into Withenshaw. My church said, that's not really a thing. They said, that wouldn't be wise. They said, you're not mature enough in your faith. You shouldn't go. Now, if I listened to them, I would have never moved. I would have been obedient to them, but I would have been disobedient to the calling of God in my life. And you know what? It seems like wherever I look, when people put themselves out there, there's always going to be people seeking to undermine and close down the things of God. What is it for you where God has spoken and you bravely stood and said, I should do this, and yet criticism and attack comes your way? You've heard me tell you about the early days of the Salvation Army and some of the, the, the confrontation and the challenge that they faced. I've told you about people like the Skeleton Army that was set up in direct opposition to the good things that the Sally Army did. This group, this band of men chose to oppose them. But it wasn't just violence. It wasn't just horrible abuse that they faced. One of the most intelligent men of the 1800s uh, a man uh, called Thomas Henry Huxley decided that he was going to be the man that would oppose and bring down the Salvation Army. He was a biologist, a zoologist, an evolutionist. He was a self-taught genius. It says in his bio that he only went to school for two years and the rest he taught himself. He was the president of the uh, British Association of Advanced Science. 
1852, he won the Royal Award for a uh, Royal Medal uh, for, his, uh, for his efforts. He has many accolades. And he's got this nickname, Darwin's Bulldog. He was called Darwin's Bulldog because Charles Darwin, the great evolutionist and biologist, uh, had, uh, uh, had all these kind of theories, and he saw himself as the number one person who would back Darwin to the hilt. He was an aggressive defender of everything that Darwin did. And Booth had produced this amazing document, this strategic campaign that he called the Scheme of Social Selection and Salvation. All the S's. He loved S's. They even wore S's on their, on their uh, clothes. The scheme of social selection and salvation. It was like an evangelical social welfare reform bill. It was unbelievably uh, uh, radical, ahead of its time. Actually informs a lot of what we might see now in social welfare in our nation. Booth said this. If we help the man, it is in order that we change him. My only hope for the permanent deliverance of mankind from misery, either in this life or the next, is the regeneration, the remaking of the individual by the power of the Holy Ghost through Jesus Christ. Come on. Like his, he wanted to go around social change. He wanted to bring it and make a difference to the poorest of the poor, but he wanted to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Huxley... The genius Huxley gets hold of his literature, his campaign, and then he began to write every single week to the national press to ridicule the Salvation Army in what he called their religious fanaticism. And it became so popular, his writings, that they pulled together all his articles and made it into a book. And the book was called Social Diseases and Worst Remedies. So the Salvation Army, social selection and salvation, Huxley, social diseases and worst remedies. And he wrote this, shutting his eyes to the necessary consequences of the struggle of life. With thrift and self-respect denounced as sin, with, with the suffering of starving men, referred to as the sin of the capitalist, the gospel, according to Booth, may save souls, but it will hardly save society. Whatever Booth did, this guy wanted to say, it's a failed plan. It will make no difference. When you put yourself out there, you put yourself against criticism and it can be crushing. But G. Campbell Morgan said, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. How amazing is that? If what you're doing doesn't find yourself up against pressure and struggle and strife and criticism and opposition, then you're probably doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. So it's no surprise that Jesus, right at the very start of his ministry, is going to face all kinds of criticism. It's as if that Nazareth preach was his launch day. Like it's his press release. It's the moment that he announces himself to the world as the one who has come. And now it's been a week since that really powerful proclamation of Isaiah 61. And he's walked all the way to Capernaum. And we hear in Luke 4.31 that it's the Sabbath again. And Jesus is in the synagogue teaching. Jesus didn't struggle to get church visits, Sam Wright. 
He just turned up and they let him speak. And he begins to share. And the people are overwhelmed at his anointing. The authority with which he speaks. His words have power and weight. His words have weight because they are God empowered. And we shouldn't be surprised because he is God and he's only doing what he said he saw his father doing. And, and Jesus ultimately is the word. And so when he begins to unpack the scriptures, it's like he's just talking about the things that he already knows. They're his words. Would you not love to hear the preaching of Jesus as he unpacks the scripture? This time we don't get to know what the text is. We don't get the scroll reference. Nothing is shared. But I'm sure he's shared about the kingdom and it's upside down nuss. Jesus' words possess power. But there's someone in the audience, there's someone in the congregation that morning that is possessed by something else. By a demon, by an unclean spirit. And it comes in direct opposition to Jesus, seeking to undermine his authority, seeking to undermine the anointing of Jesus, seeking to distract and destroy and tear down. He cries at the top of his voice, which means really loud, not really high. That'd be a bit, that'd be more comical, wouldn't it, if a demon said it in a really high pitched voice? He says, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I imagine he doesn't wait till Jesus is finished and everyone's trying to have a cup of tea and a biscuit at the back. He waits until Jesus is at his like, pinnacle point, at the moment of most power and authority. Maybe as he begins to see that people are wowed and impressed by Jesus, he's like, now's my time. And so maybe he stands up in the middle and, uh, and, and as Jesus is sat to speak, he stands above them all and he shouts at the very top of his voice, go away. And you imagine you can hear a pin drop as this guy begins to holler. See, Jesus has been rejected in his hometown. Jesus has, a, a, has been teaching incredibly. They were impressed by Jesus. In Nazareth, they too were impressed by his authority, it says. But within another week, it seems like it's starting to happen again. Go away. Go away. Do you hear? This is direct rejection. I've done some awful preaches. But no one's ever stood up and said, go away. I've had people that have waited afterwards to speak to me and say, that was particularly awful. <laughs> There's always somebody who wants to encourage you with what you should have said. But no one's ever stood up, and please let's not start this morning. No one's ever stood up and gone, I wish you'd go away. What do you want with us? See how he undermines the purpose of Jesus. What do you want? Like, why are you here? What are you trying to achieve? Undermining the purposes of Jesus. And then he, and then he calls him. He dares to call him Jesus of Nazareth. I think he's trying to undermine his identity. See what he does? He directly rejects us and then he undermines our purpose. And he undermines our identity. 
See, Jesus is not just Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the king of all kings. He's the Messiah, the rescuer, the only, the only son of the father. And what he's saying there is, Jesus, do you remember where you're from? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, do you remember last week? Didn't quite work out, did it? Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, nothing good comes from Nazareth is, the, is its reputation. Do you remember last week? Your pals, your mates, they liked you so much that they took you to the edge of a cliff to throw you off. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One. The demon again tries to undermine the purposes of Jesus. The demon is the foot soldier of the devil. The devil is the one who God holds responsibility for, for, for poverty and sickness and suffering and oppression. Jesus fully intends to break apart the schemes of the devil. Jesus fully intends to break the stronghold of the devil on the world. Jesus fully intends to bring his kingdom near and break down the kingdom of darkness. But his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Have you come to destroy the weak and the dirty? Have you come to destroy us, the oppressed, and the possessed. No, my Messiah, Jesus the Christ, would allow himself to be destroyed in order to bring freedom. Did you come to destroy us? No. He came to allow himself to be destroyed in order that he might make others whole. And yes, Jesus is the Holy One of God. But instead of a holiness that separates him from the people, because God could destroy everything unholy, but instead of being a God who separates himself from the unholy, Jesus becomes unholiness. Jesus takes on sin, becomes sinful for us so that we might be free. His kingdom is not of this world. And so the devil is trying to say, I've got your number. You're going to destroy us now. No, he was so far wrong. Do you see what the devil is trying to do? Distort, deceive and distract us. He wants to make sure that he's in direct opposition to you. He wants to make sure he undermines your position, your identity in Christ. He wants to undermine the calling that God has placed upon you. And then I love the verse, the next verse that follows in verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus says sternly. Now, I want to know, I should have unpacked sternly. What does sternly mean? Like, is it as loud as the guy or is it just with such like authority and power and straightness? Like, I don't even think Jesus doesn't need a shout. Be quiet, be quiet, come out of him. Then the devil threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. So this is considered, right, the first miracle of Jesus in Luke. I could point you to what I think are other miraculous things, like walking away from people who are trying to throw you off a cliff. That kind of feels like miraculous to me. But this is seen as the first miracle. And therefore, there's real symbolism in this. Jesus silences the enemy. His intention is to silence the enemy. Jesus removes the threat. He does so 
ensuring that the demon does not injure the man. Have you come to destroy us? If Jesus had let the, the demon continue to damage the guy, it would have appeared that he'd come to do damage. And so he needs the demon out and leave the man well. And so I love it. Did you come to destroy us? No, out you go and leaves him well. Have you come to destroy us? The thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Oppression comes to an end in silence and stillness. The demon throws the man down, but he rises unhurt, fully restored, no damage done. God is about full restoration. Don't doubt that. You know, he goes on to do a, a miracle in which there is an instant healing. And maybe you don't see instant healing. And maybe you don't see instant transformation. But don't ever think that God does half jobs. He's about full restoration. His words have power. And his preaching is amazing. But what's brilliant is when you see someone who teaches with such power, when you begin to see their action display the same kind of power, you are overwhelmed because his actions have supernatural power. He's working at a different level. And so people begin to talk. I love it when the rumour mill of the kingdom begins. We should expect it in higher, you know. After we've gone into schools and we've begun to see kids give their life to Jesus, the church will begin to talk. Neighbourhoods will begin to talk about God who saves, about young people's lives who have been turned around. Listen, listen, keep your ears open. God is at work. People begin to talk not just in the town, but in the area and the regions beyond. And Jesus leaves the synagogue that morning. He's heading away and we, he ends up at Simon's house. We don't even know who Simon is yet. There's loads to come about Simon. Here's a future thing. He's the first Pope. Um, and, but right now we don't even know who Simon is. We don't even know why he's there. I wonder if Simon says, like, I've got a chicken on. Do you want to come back? Uh, probably got a spare place so he goes back to, uh, to Simon's house and to be honest if I'd had a morning like Jesus I'd have just wanted to go home maybe stick a Disney film on and fall asleep on the sofa you know you all do it's Moana at the moment but when he gets to Simon's house he's a little bit disappointed because the food is not ready it's actually one of my major frustrations in life. You know when you go to someone's house and they say, come for food at eight. And when you get there, they start cooking. And you're like, that is not funny or fair. At least put some crisps out. But there's a good reason why the food isn't ready because Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's not just sick, a little bit sick, as in oh, I could do a morning off church sick. She's like high fever sick bed ridden she might even be heading towards death and Jesus gets on it there's no big story there's no like long introduction there's no exciting thing it just said so he spent he bent over and he rebuked the fever and it left she got up and began to wait on them that is my kind of miracle Jesus gets on it straight away in he goes leans over you're done out now let's get cooking 
He's obviously very hungry. So amazing. Jesus' first miracles, though, look at what Luke is pointing us to. Jesus is telling us about the first miracles of the Messiah. He takes on a demon called a dirty spirit. God has always separated himself from the dirty, but Christ is in with both feet. And Christ heals a sick woman. He's announcing the kind of kingdom that he's coming for, which is all about the unfavoured. He takes on a woman who sadly is considered second class. He takes on a dirty, demonised guy who should be avoided, put out, not to be seen again. Freedom, the freedom of this kingdom is a freedom for all, for men, for women, for, for slave and for the sick, for the dirty and the demonised. In just one day, he has proclaimed good news and he has set the oppressed free and he's healed the sick. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. Full restoration in an instant. Before the day is out, as you can imagine, the house is surrounded. I love that. Where Jesus goes, people are like, where is he at? And so, you know, he's maybe the, at this point they've finished the food and Moana's in full flow and, and they can just hear the hubbub of people outside. Maybe someone's brave enough to knock the door. Could, could you just pop out? A few sick people and he goes outside and the house is surrounded by people of all sicknesses and diseases and demonic people. Like it would have felt like a, a zombie attack. And Jesus goes about doing what he came for. Healing all, no one misses out. We have a good God. What an amazing difference within, within just a week. Both Nazareth and Capernaum were considered, were considered the words of Christ to be of power and authority. Yet one went on to reject him and the other went on to receive him. Let's make sure that we don't just like the things that we read about Jesus in the Bible, but we want to be about him. We want to be with him. We don't want to reject him. We'll follow him where he goes. In fact, they go a bit too far, the people of Capernaum, because they won't let him go. Like he wants to get on with his stuff and they want to keep him to himself. And he says this, let me finish with this. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I want to finish with this. I want to be about Christ. I want to be with Christ. But I want to let Christ get on with what he's called to do. I don't want to be someone who stands in opposition to Jesus. I don't want to be someone who restricts Jesus. I certainly don't want to be someone who throws, tries to throw Jesus off a cliff. But I also don't want to keep him to myself like the people of Capernaum. I want Jesus and the message of Christ to be made known to many, to every, to all. We need to be a people that will follow him, go where he goes, but certainly not to stand in his way. Simon Peter goes on to be the person who Christ says, get behind me, get behind me, Satan. Because he chose at one point to try and restrict the movement, the calling that Christ had upon him. Don't be Nazareth. Don't reject Jesus. Receive him like Capernaum did but don't keep him to yourself he's for the nations 
to be known. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. We love reading about you. How awesome you are. Thank you that your words do have power. And even when we read them written down in scripture, they warm our hearts like, like those disciples experienced on the, Emmaus, on the Emmaus road. Lord, we love you. We love that you're for all. We love that you're for the broken and the sick, for the dirty and the downcast. We love that freedom comes in your name. We love that you didn't just talk about it, but you did it. And we want to be people like you, following you where you go. Lead us, Lord. Make us like you. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray again. Unite us to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.